Don't, I want to make sure I understand. So now I, I, I am an avocado farmer and exporter in Mexico. In, in Mexico. No. Yeah, exactly. Ice cottos. It's a new thing. We're innovating it. It's like ice wine, too sweet. But anyway, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Mexican avocado exporter. Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands. Welcome back to Canusa Street, everybody. I'm Scotty Greenwood with the Canadian American Business Council, south of the border at our pop-up studio in Mexico City. And I'm joined by Chris Sands of the Woodrow Wilson Center. Hey, Chris. Hey, Scotty. Nice to be back on Canusa Street in a new location. It is. And the food is fantastic, oh, I have to say. The food is very good, yes. Yeah. I, uh, Canusa Street vendors, maybe we should have like food trucks on Canusa oh, Street. Oh, heck yeah. yeah. I'm hungry already. Well, I'm excited about the conversation we're about to have because... Uh, borders, border policy is something that affects every aspect of life in North America. And uh, I, you and I spend a lot of time with the U.S. northern border, Canada's southern border, less so with the U.S. southern border, and yet it's incredibly important. So uh, I'm excited and honored for our guests. And why don't you introduce him properly? Sure, absolutely. Well, uh, Vincent Vinny uh, Anunziato is Director of Business Transformation and Innovation, uh, Division of Customs and Border Protection, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Director Annunziato has over 25 years of experience with Customs and Border Protection. He began his career in 1996, so notably before 9-11, which is good to know because I'm sure that uh, shook you up as much as it shook us up. But he was an officer at the Port of Los Angeles. And then in 2004, he began working as a subject matter expert for the Automated Commercial Environment ACE program. And for a while, I, I lived in Port Huron, and we were all excited that that was coming. And this would have been, you know, the 90s, almost when you were starting, and then it took a while to deliver. So I know how hard business process uh, innovation can be. You're at the heart of it for one of the most important parts of our uh, of our continent, which is how we manage the border. And you're coming to us just after we've had pandemic border restrictions to add a whole other layer of threat management. So with that, I'm going to stop talking about what he does. And well, Scott, why don't you ask him what he does so well, we can... I mean, we're here at the North Capitol Forum in Mexico City, um, but where are you? First of all, where are you based? I am. I'm based out of Washington D.C. Just like us. Okay, so we had to come all the way to Mexico City to uh, get you to Canusa Street. But it's all good. What brought you uh, here? What What is it about this conference, and what do you hope to accomplish here? Well, the irony of this is that I was brought in by private sector. Oh yeah. So I okay. Work with um, Carol Fowler. And she's with Transmute. That's what I'll be supporting today with um, the the piece that they're doing. The uh, so Carol brought me in in order to talk about what the government is starting to do in terms of modernization, and we are at the forefront right now. I would say globally, at the forefront of what we're doing, and we're trying to introduce these concepts uh, to all of our member nations uh, to make sure that they understand where we're going and and what we could end up with in the end. And I would. I would caveat that by saying that ultimately, I think we're going to be light years ahead of where we are now. So I was going to ask you a question about Nexus, but maybe we'll, Chris will devote an entire podcast just to Nexus enrollment and all that. We spent a lot of time in Calgary talking about that. So instead of that, help me understand, Vinny, what do you mean when Customs and Border Protection talks about business transformation and, and innovation? You referenced it a little bit, but what does that really mean? Like, what are you looking at? So my role, it's like, for me, it's, it's, it's like being a kid in a candy shop right now. All right. I get to look at all the new technology coming in. 
uh, we test it before Customs actually invests into it. And then we promote whether or not we believe that technology will work for us. Um, in fact, I work with a lot of big companies, a lot of small companies, uh, and I often tell them that they have to tell me, not sell me. I want to know that they've gone and done some background checks on what we do, um, that they're bringing me something not just because they're excited about the fact that they're selling it, but the fact that they know what our business is and what our needs are. So like retina scans, maybe, is it ways to do biometrics or what? what's an yeah. example of the things you need? So let me clarify a couple of things. I work for the Office of Trade. So a lot of what you see happens with the Office of Field Operations. You were just bringing up Nexus. That is a passenger uh, scenario, right? I'm You're looking at goods, not people. Strictly cargo. Got it. Right? Okay. So I'm into supply chains. That's really Perfect. what I do. Hot topic so, right now, really. Yeah. So one of the things that we are looking at, and, and we'll get into this, is really the interoperability of the global standards, making the world a lot smaller than it is now. Sure. But we also look into things like um, we've been doing some experimentation with something called a HoloLens, which is um, if I want to have uh, the ability to draw people from all over the country and have maybe somebody who's coming in and, and you know has a trademark piece that they want protected, now they can go to everybody across the country from their seat, you know, where they are now and, and deliver that training. So that, you know, is some really interesting stuff. We're, we're looking at things on how to classify products. Um, you know, can we get um, pictures to help us understand that the classifications that are coming in are correct? And what do you mean? Sorry, I keep I keep thinking Chris is going to take over, and then I keep interrupting. <laughs> well, but, you have a lot but, of good questions. So. Well, but classify what what does that mean? Classifying products. What are you for the for the unwashed out here? Yeah. So harmonized tariff is really based on the origin of a product, and then that determines the duty rate. So it's very important. And customs is a revenue generating agency, right? We pay for ourselves, so to speak. Um, so it's very important for us to know certain things. Um, not just for enforcement purposes, but also to make sure that we're getting the proper uh, tax due for uh, the goods coming into the, the U.S. So classifying a textile um, yeah. to make sure it's made, you know, it, it meets the requirements of made in North America or Central America or classifying something else. So it's always into when you are importing into the U.S., you have to meet the rules and regulations. And we do that through an entry process. Um, on paper, it would be called a 3461, but in the automated world, they're sending that data into us. We're verifying certain things, and we deci decide whether or not we're going to examine it or let it go you know, down the road. I want to talk to you a little about supply chains because I'm always fascinated by them. And there was a moment in the USMCA negotiations when we were talking, well, then we were thinking we're just updating NAFTA, but led to the USMCA, where Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross made the suggestion that we should have full traceability down to the raw material in the automotive supply chain. And that stuck with me, even though, you know, we didn't put that requirement in, it stuck with me because people, millennials, Generation Z, are really concerned about what is in the product they buy. They express their values through their consumption. And, you know, they, they don't just want to know Nike is a nice brand. They want to know that in the manufacture of that shoe, there's no forced labor, nothing from the Uyghurs or anywhere else, like that they have no tobacco, whatever their values are. And institutional investors, the big pension funds have the same attitude. Like we want to know how clean this is, but to create a data rich supply chain, 
that's not only transparent enough to make those determinations, but accountable, where we actually know that nobody's faking the data. That's a huge challenge. Is that close to what you're wrestling that with? That is exactly what we're, we're wrestling with, and we're doing it at a global level. So as countries come on board with our standards, once a private sector uh, entity can communicate with us, they'll be able to communicate with any foreign entity uh, along with it. This is exceptionally big with transnational companies, right? Yes. Uh, you can even envision, if, and, and, and I'll get more into this because I, I want to give you something anecdotal that will really support what you just said. Um, but you can really see even an international single window brewing from what we're doing now. I mean, it's not going to happen right away. But down the line, if there's one spot that you can send your information and then have it transmitted to um, all the countries that are necessary, that might be a real catalyst um, uh, in the next stages of what we do. Now, do we have a single window in North America? I built it. Okay. I built the, in fact, that's my claim to fame. Nice. Although nobody ever knows me. See, it seems like uh, a softball my, question in retrospect. <laughs> I didn't know that, but awesome. My wife and kids don't understand what I do. <laughs> But they know the word single window. Yeah. You know, it's the it's. I went through a very tough experience with Ace. Um, I always describe it as and explain what Ace is. Uh, automated commercial environment. That's our uh, import and export system, right? And I, I I did two areas. So I did the cargo release portion, which did the entry, which I just mentioned, and I did the single window. Um, but it was a scenario where I like to joke, especially with my higher ups, where everything that went wrong was my fault and everything that went right was right was everybody else's. <laughs> Welcome to politics. Really, yeah. a really tough scenario because I was I was over both of those. Um, but there is there was a documentary, Chris, that I watched. It's got to be going on like uh, seven, eight months ago. And it, it was about this young lady. 16, 17 years old, and she's an internet influencer. If I would have seen her on the street, couldn't have told you that this is some famous person, right? Um, and her focus is on cosmetics. So she goes out and she tells her following, hey, you've got to order this lipstick because this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Now, obviously, I'm dating myself right now. She wouldn't use the term sliced bread, but she she's telling them, everybody, you got to use this lipstick. Another young lady, same nondescript, right, who's watching her, decides, I'm going to go and I'm going to buy that lipstick. So she goes onto an e-commerce site and she orders the least, the, the one with the least cost, the lipstick with the least cost. So what do you think happens? She gets the lipstick, she applies it, and 10 seconds later realizes that she super glued her lips together. Oh, so when you look at the customs mission, that really sets up how difficult the mission we have. Because it's not just dirty moms, it's not just terrorism, it's how do you find the lipstick in the haystack, Yeah. right? Um, and, and I think these are the things, and it's not just U.S. customs, it's every customs, you know, around the world, right? Uh, the government um, agencies that are having to deal with this have a very difficult mission. So we're weeding through millions upon millions of shipments coming in, and we've got to figure out what we want to focus on. But we have this mission of your electric Christmas lights that are coming in. You know, we want ones that won't cause fire to your home. Right. Right. We want to make sure that we protect kids, lead poisoning right. Right, of toys that are coming in. And there are certain countries that don't care. Right. They will do anything to make a dollar. They just want to send it in. And obviously, with that lipstick, it's a great example. So it, it's a very difficult 
mission operationally. So you're looking, it's difficult because you're looking for counterfeit. You're looking for counterfeits. You're and good counterfeiters make it hard. Yeah. The packaging they, is good, the whatever. Right. And they will go through and they will try and figure out ways, you know, to play us. You know, and as an officer, I use that experience often um, because that's what we're looking for. How are they trying to even, you know, test certain things to see if they're going to get in. Right. So how do you combat that? Well, uh, at first we started looking at blockchain. Now, I'm going to start off by saying that blockchain is not the answer, okay? It may be one part of an answer, mm -hmm. but it's not the answer. Um, and anybody who's going in and just investing in blockchain is going to spend a lot of money um, to probably get some things that they don't need the blockchain for. And most people I found didn't really understand. But I'm not here to put down blockchain because I do think there's certain aspects that are very good. And I think it needs to mature a little. But what we did with DHS Science and Technology Directorate is we moved into what's called global interoperability standards. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? What are they? It breaks down into two components. And they're with the W3C right now. We actually have them standardized. W3C? That is the World Wide Web Consortium, which is what put the web in place as it is now. So they're a standards organization. We have international working groups, okay? So the Decentralized Identifier, or a DID, is a unique ID number that is much like your driver's license or your passport, okay? Mm -hmm. But it has what's called a public-private pairing. If you're on the network with me on network A, and you move over to network C, and then I move over to network C, you could still recognize me, mm -hmm. but you can't steal my persona because I have the key that stops you from being able to do that. Now, you mix that with a verifiable credential, and this is where it's going to start getting interesting. So, Scotty, let's say you're a police officer and you pull me over, and uh, I've been speeding, and obviously I can't just give you an ID number. I give you my driver's license. So you start to go through, um, you know, all of the attributes that are on there, and you go, my gosh, this, is the, this guy's the closest thing to Superman I've ever seen in my life, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> so anyway, you go through the attributes, and you can tell that I'm the guy that's in that picture. But yeah. what are you missing? You don't know if that's a legitimate license, do you? Until you're able to run it. And the way you would run it is you go back to the DMV and the DMV would then allow you to see that. Okay? Right, right. So what verifiable credentials allows you to do is it allows you to get back to the original source. Okay. And that gives you the information that lets us know about what's called legitimacy. Now, I was making a joke. I believe I said it earlier um, about blockchain. Uh, with truth. If I didn't, I won't use the word truth anymore because they used it in a wrong manner. Okay. Okay. So I'm after legitimacy. I want to know if there's legitimate companies and legitimate products. Okay. Now let's take that did VC example that I just gave you and let me put it in a supply chain, hypothetical supply chain scenario. And I think this will help make it even more clear, especially for your audience. And I'm not saying this is policy. This is just totally made up. In the old days, you would be able to go out and buy a, an off-the-shelf um, name or ID number for uh, incorporation. Okay. Right. Sure. Uh, and most people in the old days went to Cyprus to do this, all right, for money laundering. And this is all public knowledge, so I'm not telling you anything secret, right? Um, so let's just say in that scenario, you buy something off the shelf, and now you're sending the government that information that says, to, says, hey, we've incorporated on X date, and this thing's been around for 15 years. 
See what I'm saying? And then let's say your banking started a month later. Now, all of a sudden, we've got information that we haven't had before. So the supply chain right now, uh, and Chris, you said it uh, really hit the nail on the head, is we want to get back to origin. And ironically, there's two origins. I don't know if you know that. No. There's where we get the raw materials. That's an origination. But then if you manufacture a product much beyond those uh, raw materials and it changes it into something else, that becomes the origin. Right, exactly. In this new world, though, we want to capture it all. That's right. All right. Um, there's one other piece that I think would help you understand a little bit about what we're doing. And I, and I think there's a real ringer in this that I'm really trying to communicate to private industry. So with the DID-VC combination, we have something called the first party attestation, which is what I used with the DMV example, all right, where I'm attesting to you that I am who I say I am. And tell me, just remind us again, you said it, but just to follow on, DID and VC, <laughs> what did those stand for again? Decentralized identifier. Yeah. Verifiable credential. VC, got it. Okay. She still doesn't buy the Superman thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Keep going, Clark. All right. So now, first party attestation is what I just mentioned, right? I'm declaring something to be true. But where the power of this comes in is on the third party attestation. So if I have, for instance, an electronics piece coming in, and I can get a certification uh, from, the, from the UL that that's a legitimate piece, that's more powerful to me than the first party attestation. And when Why? You, Why is that more powerful? Because you have a certification group that is stating that this is meeting the standards by which it should be in order to be imported into the US. So, the, so the, it's Christmas lights and they're not going to blow up because they meet the standards? Right, because they met the standards. Can I, so can I just jump in here because it, uh, this is fascinating and I kind of love your job. Uh, the Canadian American Business Council that I run, um, our, the, our board chair is with MasterCard. Our, the chair of our board rotates every couple of years, but it's currently with MasterCard. MasterCard, we just had a board meeting in New York City at their cyber innovation hub and if you haven't been there i'm just going to invite you <laughs> we'll, we'll clear with mastercard later this but um because mastercard and other companies like it its competitors verify people's identity in a blink of an eye they you know uh it goes maybe faster than the speed of light and i wonder if um the extent to which Companies like that, if they immerse themselves in the problems you're trying to solve, if like what kind of collaboration you end up with, and if you, you know, if you're talking to the MasterCards of the world or others. Interestingly, I think MasterCard is going down the same road that we are. Um, I'm not, I think so too, 100% sure of what standards approach they're doing. One of the things that Customs is trying to do is fight sole ownership. Like we won't want a corporation to come in and take over you know, uh, through uh, trademarks that they own um, that particular thing. That puts us in a bad scenario. We're trying to keep this an open and competitive market. So I, I believe that, uh, if I recall, because this is now going back a bit, I had seen some advertisement by MasterCard, and I think they're going in that same direction. We'd love to talk to them further. Okay. But I am talking to big companies. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of, you know, like the Microsofts of the world, the Amazons, the Walmarts, all of them as well. You just named three more of my members, so good job. Thank you. <laughs> we can plan this in advance, but yes. Yeah, and, and what's, what's happening, happening is I have five projects going right now. I have steel, 
I have pipeline oil, pipeline natural gas, e-commerce, and food safety. Two of the projects were forwarded to us um, through a competition that we held in the government. Um, and one, one was by FedEx, which was e-commerce, and the other was by Walmart, which is food safety. Mm -hmm. And what they became famous for uh, with Walmart was being able to move the sal salmonella poisoned fresh vegetables and fruits off the shelf, going from weeks and months down to, you know, um, hours and minutes, yeah, right? So really good. So, so we're, we're, we're now expanding on that. In fact, we're, we're testing blueberries and avocados. Um, and ironically, a lot of the Mexican industry is affected by all of this, right? Um, our steel, we have a lot of steel companies from Mexico, obviously the avocados and the blueberries. Um, there's even some potential talk. I, I can't promise this because we don't know if State Department is going to fund it, but we may be looking at chips pretty soon. So we got a lot of stuff coming. So on, just to if, just to stay with us for a second. So on avocados, what do you, what is Customs and Border Protection trying to understand with avocados? So we're taking the tactic, and and what companies need is if they're proving that their supply chain is secure. Can we facilitate? So we take a facilitative approach. Right now, if one little thing goes wrong in the supply chain, big companies such as Walmart and Kroger and all of them are writing off as a loss the, um, the supply that they were supposed to get. So we're trying to eradicate that. What we ultimately want, and this goes into our complete modernization effort, is that we'll be able to give advanced messaging that the trade can count on to help them get across the border. But sorry, just I don't I want to make sure I understand. So and I, I, I am an avocado farmer and exporter in Mexico, in, in Mexico. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ice cottos. It's a new thing. We're innovating it. It's like ice wine. Too sweet. But anyway, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Mexican avocado exporter. Uh, I'm shipping my shipments of avocados across the border. It comes to your colleagues. Do they want to know about pesticides I've used? Do they want to know about, is it really me or is it maybe coming from Colombia? Like, what is it that you're looking for in order to say, yes, this can go into the U.S. market? Okay, so I can't get down into the nth degree of detail, but let me go across the top so you understand it. The big thing that we're looking at is the who, the, um, the what, and the where. Okay, so is it really avocados? It's a digital twin. Yep. Okay. So we want to know who's in control, mm -hmm. what exactly is it, and where is it geographically located? So is it really is it really Scotty's avocados, or is this actually uh, Chris Sands, the the drug lord's uh, exactly. fentanyl? Right. And <laughs> and I will tell you that. Um, we're having some amazing things go on. The company that I've hired that does the food safety piece is actually offering a tool through mobile technology for farmers. So there's no, oh, I'm a farmer, I can't do this. They are able to do predictive analysis for them. They can tell them if um, there's scenarios where there's uh, pests that they have to worry about, climate problems, all sorts of things. And um, what happens is the company uh, that is importing actually opens up their supply chain to us voluntarily so that we can get non-traditional as well, as well as traditional actors. And it's all taking place in near real time. So um, that makes sense to me. I'm following you. How does that apply? You said your other two projects, oil and gas. So what do you, what, what do you need to know about oil and gas? 
Uh, we're in the prehistoric days with that area. Unfortunately, a lot of the decisions that are happening are happening two weeks after when they get the reports. I will tell you that the operators that I have right now that are dealing with these projects are saying, if this is the future, this is what we want, because it's getting them the data even prior to when they would get an entry or an entry summary or an in-bond or whatever it happens to be. Um, so there's there's... This is happening on both sides. I don't want the audience to hear this and think, oh, the government is just grabbing everything. This is going to also help the private sector folks as well, right? So they're going to be able to see just-in-time decisions that are going on, how things are changing hands and when. Ultimately, um, if you're exporting and you have a supplier that you're using, a farmer, and they're doing a really good job versus farmer B who's not, you're going to see that already. Your AI, your machine learning is going to grow exponentially on what we're trying to do. Great. The, interesting. So we're going to take a break while I try to process all this and understand um, how it all gets across the board. And when we come back, Chris, we'll, uh, we'll dive deeper into the really fascinating world of customs and border protection I innovation. Me too. Are you red, white, and blue, or just red and white? Beaver or bald eagle? Ryan Reynolds or JLo? Canusa Street, a masterclass in cross-border relations. This is where Canada and the United States intersect on the policies and issues of our two great nations. But you know that already, that's why you're here. The question is, if you want more of this bilateral bonanza delivered directly to your inbox, and you know you do, how about signing up for Scotty Greenwood's weekly email updates on Canada-U.S. relations? Head to cabc.co to sign up today. And now back to Canusa Street. Welcome back to Canusa Street. Uh, I'm Chris Sands, and I'm here with Scotty Greenwood, my able co-host, and we're here with Vinny Annunziato, who is Confused with Confused co-host. I keep asking the dumb questions. I'm asking the blonde questions today, so that's okay. They're all legitimate. Um, so, uh, Mr. Nunziata, I wanted to ask a little bit about something that it seems is adjacent to what you're doing, and that is there's a lot of discussion now about friend-shoring, ally-shoring, et cetera. As you think about building trust and confidence in these networks and being able to verify, et cetera, how important is it to have a government, I suggest like Canada's or whatnot, who is fully cooperating and verifying or supporting what you're trying to do to keep supply chains uh, have their have them have integrity versus say a country like china that may or may not want to play ball ironically i think this is going to influence the globe yeah um in the long run um because when you set the standards correctly no one country uh, gains an advantage over another and i think ultimately that's to everybody's benefit um, I am working uh, with other governments. Um, I have been working with the Border Five, uh, which is the UK, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, uh, and the US. That's, um, a, that's a new one to me, Chris, the Border Five. Yeah, it sounds like the Five Eyes uh, Second Act. Government acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've also been working with IDB Bank. Um, a little slow right now, but we're hoping to get some money in from Congress. By the way, this is bipartisan support for us. Um, right down the line, everybody's very, very excited about what we're doing. Uh, I would I mention IDB Bank because they are building a platform 
which any South American country can come on to. I think it's free of charge, um, but they, they'll pay their development costs and stuff like that. So we could conceivably start to have um, global communications going on uh, that I think will really open the doors uh, in the future to what we're trying to do. And then um, this year, by the way, 2023, I'm going to pivot just a little bit off that, Chris. Um, in 2023, we're testing our connection to the trade. So we we have steel and um, the pipeline pieces going in 2023 for testing. In 2024, we'll be doing the new single window. So I get another crack at the apple there, um, another bite at the apple. Um, sorry, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. Tell us again, what does single window mean? A true single window. And, and by the way, a measure of success in the government is when everybody imitates the name of a project that you've done. Absolutely. So there's now single windows all over the world, yeah. if you notice. But a true single window is what it does is it takes in all the data necessary, um, and puts it through one portal and allows you to get your decisions back from that portal. So with us, we have like 49, I think it's a total of 49 import agencies. So your FDAs, your EPAs, all of that, that data goes in and we are a traffic hop in a way. We send the data over to them and they make their decisions and send it back to us and then we send it out. So so as a practical matter, um, back to my avocado farm in Mexico that I've been working so hard on, if there's a single window, I submit whatever information the government's asking for uh, once. I don't have to send it to the U.S. Department of Agriculture separately and the Food and Drug Agency separately and Customs. So that's that's what it means. It's, it's, it's more user-friendly. There are scenarios, very specific scenarios, where you will see certain exceptions to that. Um, prior notice, for instance, um, is filed earlier. But we carry that prior notice when you submit your entry information. But for the most part, that's exactly what's happening. It's a one-stop shop. You send your data in. You get everything back that you need to know. Are you going to be examined by agency A or B? Um, or do we need to review some documents to make a decision on whether or not to let you go through? Um, and that's how it works. And, and, what is, and when it comes to steel, because you've mentioned steel a couple of times, again, just to, just to make it really understandable for our, our listeners, um, thank God who are smarter than I am. But when you're thinking about steel coming into the U.S. makes a lot of steel, but we also import steel. So yes. when you're thinking about steel, is it really um, that you want to make sure that, for example, China isn't flooding the market? Uh, with steel, so is that one of the things you're looking at? It doesn't just have to be China. It could be anybody, right? That that if somebody's trying to lower prices and take over business that should necessarily be coming from a, a particular ally, for instance. Or particular, get around sanctions. Or get around sanctions, whatever it happens to be. When you can get back to, you know, the mills, and we know where, you know, all that has been made. And this is important, too, because, um, you know, we want to be careful. We're building bridges. We've seen in Florida, we had a couple of buildings just yeah, fall. That's right. You know, um, and, and, and who is that on? Right? Well, the first thing is to make sure that the raw materials that you're ordering meet the proper specifications. Because the easiest thing in the world to doctor is what? A piece of paper. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you're, you're making it real. Chris, you just mentioned sanctions, and it, it really makes it real. When you think about what's happening with Russia, Russia and aggression in Ukraine, and so much of the world said, okay, well, we're not going to buy any Russian stuff. It's 
your people <laughs> that tell us whether or not it's Russian stuff. Ultimately, right? You're the, you're the last line of defense at the border. Yeah. Okay, that makes it real for me. Well, I have two questions for that. All right. I, yeah, I want to get them in. Well, so the first is sort of. Yeah, the, I have a hard time getting questions in, Chris. What are you I, saying? I, no, 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 no. I just <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to run out of time. Um, so, so two questions. One is is about breaking the system, and the other one is about healing the system. And the first one on breaking. It seems to me that with these systems, there's always the risk. A friend of mine likes to say, thank God, there are very few hackers who want to kill people, but there are a lot of hackers who want to make money. So in the cybersecurity of these systems, you know, you've got many points, you may have a single window, but how do you protect that system against somebody who might want to manipulate it just to squeak something through? I'm not an expert. I'm, I'm a business person, not a technical person. I will tell you that we have um, an organization dedicated to making sure that you know that doesn't happen. Uh, we have seen some private sector hits in that area, um, more so than us. Uh, I I couldn't give you statistics though, but I do know that we have you know we we have to protect so many different things: uh, PII, personally identifiable information, trade secrets, and obviously cyber is is big. Yeah, absolutely. And so now that that leads me to my question about healing and. Uh, this is not your area, but it certainly d relates to borders. We created things like no fly list after 9-11. And you always heard the story, more often than that it was working, because nobody covers that it's working, of somebody who got mismatched. You know, like the name was similar yes. and they and they were in a jam. And one of the things you heard a lot in the media was, if somebody's misidentified, where's the ombudsman process that helps them clear up the record? How do we correct flawed data or something. So here in your world, it's that much more complex. We give them Vinny's direct email and private phone number. Well, I think that's right. You're about, to, you're about to tell us that, right? So I'm going to answer this in a couple of different ways, and I'm going to answer you directly. One is no system is 100% perfect. I never promise that. If you hear me describe it, I think I said it earlier, um, I'm always talking about making a better tool for customs, not uh, you know, one thing that's perfect. If anybody says it, it's perfect, they're selling you something. Um, so th that's first and foremost. I'm not replacing jobs, right? We need people, we need the human aspect of it to figure out all of these things. What it does do, though, is it gives an opportunity for companies to be able to follow their supply chains. Many of the large companies are probably already doing this. Um, we're just not privy to it. The the thing that is sad to me right now uh, is a couple of things. But you know, we're still scanning paper, all right, and sending. Oh my that good in. God! We want to get out of paper? <laughs> yeah, like, I want everything to be digitized. Right. You know? um, I just think there's a you know there's a world of improvement that we have right now with the system that we're building that is I, I won't be here long enough to see this fully built, mm -hmm. but I can just tell you strategically from where I'm sitting from the international, uh, the domestic and the agency level. When I say domestic, I'm talking single window. That it's light years ahead of what we have right now. I mean, the system in and of itself will be able to do things um, that right now humans are doing mechanically right manually and and it will be able to do it at a much higher rate and we're going to be able to put the statistics in front of the human operators to help them make better decisions now will we get intel or something that lets us know that there's a problem yes it won't be you know we're gonna have to look at those things but the one thing that this system does that's different is that if you have all of this information and you're able to store that, right, all the supply chain information and somebody is not legitimate and we find them because eventually we do, guess what? 
we have all of that information backing us up. You know, you know what just that just sparked for me, and this this might be a, a wild idea, but I, I just attended a brief. When you said we're still scanning paper and the things we need to know and all of that, I just attended a briefing at Lockheed Martin in Arlington, Virginia, and they're working with the U.S. military on joint all-domain operations. And what that means is military needs to be able to communicate whether you're in an airplane or, or there's a satellite or you're on the ground or you're on a ship, all domains. Joint means across the Air Force, the Marine Corps, the Navy, etc. I wonder if there would ever be a world in which the innovation that is occurring in the military across joint forces and the innovation that you're overseeing uh, for Homeland Security could sit down together and say, hey, what did you learn? Hey, what did we learn and cooperate? Does that, would that, totally that ever happen? Then I have to kill me. Over to Area 59. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have had some communication uh, with DOD. Yeah. Um, I can't go into it, but they have definitely taken a look at what we're doing. I, I would hope that it is something that they're interested in because certainly at some point, even the data that they're getting um, might be useful for, you know, the importation process because even the government imports, right? Um, and maybe uh, Space Force at some point will want to do something interstellar, right? What if we open manufacturing on Mars? I, I don't know what will happen. Well, we might be mining the, you know, the asteroids around there. So, exactly. absolutely. So, I mean, there's, there's all of that, again, but that's going to be beyond my time. Well, this is fascinating, and I, I really I think there's so much that goes on here. And you mentioned something with the IDB that uh, with regard to Latin America wanted Wait a minute. to come That's back to. That's an acronym, my friend. Oh yeah, the Inter-American Development Bank, I think. Inter-American Development Bank. Yeah, exactly, okay. of which Canada and the U.S. are members. Um, but it got me thinking about uh, how we help others plug into our systems. And I remember you might remember also it was like early 2001 before 9/11. Stephen Flynn was a Coast Guard officer, wrote a piece for the Foreign Affairs Journal, and he, he described Walmart's early logistics system, so sophisticated with the barcodes and filling things and not having inventories. And what he said was the unintended consequence of that system was that a country like Haiti that didn't have the computer infrastructure and so on, but that had for a long time made baseballs and underwear and all of these things could not sell to Walmart because they didn't have the interface. And what happened? bunch of people with money set up warehouses and became middlemen and added to cost and we lost competitiveness. When you talk about this system, I know a lot of people say, well, this is very science fiction. Maybe the Americans can do it, but a lot of developing countries are going to be coming back after COVID, want to participate in the global economy. They may feel like that's out of reach. How do we help those countries? And this is one where Canada and the U.S. as a mission together might be good at doing the outreach and even funding some of that. How can we make sure we don't leave anybody behind with this? And people say, well, that's a great way to trade. But I, I can't afford to play in that league. So I would say that um, I got two words for you, Chris, and that would be technology ag agnostic. Our yeah. interoperability yeah. standards do not rely on a certain technology. That's what we moved away from. Right. Um, and that's what I think is so healthy about this, which reduces cost. So can you come out with what the U.S. is is going to do? You know, if we're going to build this 2030 system, let's just call it that. Um, and, you know, can you as a third world nation mimic that right off the bat? No. You're going to want to do, there's going to be some growth. You're going to grow into that. Um, I've actually been working very closely with the U.K. because of Brexit. They're doing a modernization effort. I've been letting them in on some of the things that are going on. So there is a growth aspect of this. The thing is that ultimately, we, want, we need to prove this out first, that it works, 
and then the other countries that we're working with need to prove it along with us, and then you'll see it coming up uh, to speed. Um, I don't think it's going to be overnight. Um, I think you're going to see larger companies benefiting right off the, the, the bat, but I think it's going to trickle down. I think for some of the small companies, the mid-range and small companies, they may be bucking it because they're worried about the expense. I don't think the expense is as high as because everybody puts money into innovation. Okay. So I just say do the stuff that you're going to be affected by. Um, ultimately, you have two ways to do this. You can customize it yourself or you can go through a third party software, which is what we're building right now. And I have three companies that are leading uh, in this space um, and you can sign up with them. And they can convert your data and take it straight on a uh, electronic data interchange EDI. So it's just a straight feed as if you had done a query and they'll convert it into the VCs and the DIDs and then they'll send it to customs for you. So it's not a huge thing. And I got to compliment DHS S&T, right? Who? Uh, Department of Homeland Security Science and Technology Directorate. There we go. I thought I said that earlier. You did. You just have to say it several times oh, before right. we get it. I'm used to writing. You stay, you know, spell it out once and then anyway, they have done a phenomenal job. Now I get to tease uh, my, my right hand man is a Neil John over there. And I get to tease him because it took them five years of wandering through the standards world with W3C and two weeks after customs came on board, suddenly everybody got excited and it became international working group. So I like to try him on that. But he has been fantastic in his leadership in that area. And to create this open environment is going to really be an innovation space for multiple um, companies to come in on. Um, and we think it's really we think it's going to be um, revolutionary what we're doing. Um, and, and, and the thing that I can't talk to you about is the ACE modernization effort in 2025. I can't get into the detail because we're still under a non-disclosure with the private sector. But we, I, what I would say... So we'll just read about it in WikiLeaks later. Later. Yeah, you won't. <laughs> um, it, it's from soup to nuts. And everything is about, first off, the facilitation aspects. Because if we have this data, right, then the partner government agencies should be able to lower the amount of, of goods they need to look at. Customs, of course, we're already pretty high in our facilitation. But ultimately, what we don't want to do is, is let black market goods in. We want to make sure that, uh, and, and drugs and all the other things that we do now. Um, but I think the system is putting us a, 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 in a much better uh, position than we've been in before. Well, and, you know, we're reaching the end of our time here, but but I appreciate that work so much because, you know, if you're a Canadian company, a U.S. company, a Mexican company, and you're making something um, and selling it and you're you're about to take off, uh, you don't want black market goods competing um, with undercutting what you're doing or giving it a bad reputation or anything else. So um, all that to say is thank you for that, for that work and for the innovation, because it's, it's more important than people realize. And I think because people don't see it every day, maybe they take it for granted that whatever they get on the shelf at Walmart um, has been checked out and it has, but it's thanks to the work of you and your colleagues. Thank you for your service. Oh, absolutely. And I know it's not done yet. It's not, we've got a long road ahead of us, but Keep watching us because we've got some really exciting things coming up in the next couple of years. So. Sounds good. Sounds wonderful. Thanks for coming to Kinesis, Jake. Absolutely. And we'll see you back home at Wa in Washington where we all get paid by the acronym. So that'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much.
Well, Chris, we say this a lot here on Canusa Street about how it's a good day when you learn something. And I learned a lot of things um, from from our friend Vince Nuziato at U.S. Customs and Border Protection. You know, we take for granted, I think, in the United States uh, because of because of government service over the years that basically products are safe. Basically, if it's on a store shelf, it's not fake. You know, there there are there are some fundamental, and in Canada too. But but what we don't think about is where is that last check? You know, like whose job is it to determine that the product that you're buying um, is actually the one that's intended. And uh, so the innovations and the technology and the efforts uh, that that Vince and his colleagues undertake every single day, that's, um, that, that's kind of eye-opening to me. And I, I really appreciated the conversation. I did too. And I think you've said many times that we don't so much uh, trade as we make things together. Well, I think we have to manage our border together. And so discussions of the cutting edge of technology and how that can make us not necessarily a, a thicker border, but a more efficient border that provides better security while we have our goods flowing back and forth. Um, and just coming out of the pandemic, we declared this act, this commercial traffic as essential and saw that that kept our economy going. But, you know, the, the, what that needed to be is much more uh, secure. Keep it moving, but make sure that it's not spreading a pandemic and, and or broken products or false products. Um, we really need the border to work just as much as we need the relationship to work. That's right. And it's become axiomatic, but it's for a reason, which is the border should be efficient for legitimate commerce and really inefficient, sticky and hard for uh, contraband, for bad guys and bad stuff. And so that's, you know, that's a that's a tough measure, right? How do you do both? That's that's a that's a tension, a policy tension and a practical tension that that the folks like Vince deal with every single day. And uh, anyway, I learned a lot about it today. I learned a lot about it, too. And it, it brought to mind a conversation I had maybe 10 years ago at the University of Arizona um, where we were talking about the Canada-US border and there was another panel talking about the US-Mexico border. And one of the Arizonans who uh, was there in the meeting after we talked about the US-Canada border said, that science fiction, that we it's so far ahead of what we do every day, it's almost hard to imagine it relates. And so the borders are very different, but Canada and the US are technology adopters. We're early adopters. We try to make things work. And uh, I think we have a lot that goes right in the Canada-US technology border. Uh, Vincent Annunziato gave us a sense of that, but it's, it's, it's a model. And we can hope that the US and Canada can extend some of these more efficient, but also uh, more effective security technologies so that globally, uh, our trade is always safe. That's right. And, you know, the last thought I have on this, Chris, is we need to modernize the way we think about sovereignty, right? It is not sacrificing your sovereignty to share information and technology among law enforcement and intelligence services so that together you can secure the North American space. That is not stepping backwards, in my opinion, anyway, uh, on sovereignty. We, we have to modernize. And, you know, that gets right into the debate about Nexus, Trusted Traveler, which, by the way, as we we record this, still hasn't been resolved in the U.S. and Canada. The Nexus offices are still closed in Canada. And, uh, you know, it's and we 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 see just this week that the reason there's a stalemate in the U.S. and Canada on these trusted travelers and Mexico has the same but different. I mean, 
same issues, different perspective on whether or not collaborating with the United States is an encroachment on or an encroachment on your own sovereignty. And you just have to decide if you're Canada and Mexico, do you want the access to the United States for your people and your goods or not? And if you do, you've got to figure out a way to be efficient about it. And that's technology. And that is not stepping back in sovereignty. Sorry to be on my soapbox there, Chris, but I just it it relates to what we're talking about, right? Well, Canusa Street is part of a a big and busy world. And we saw in Europe that when leaders really were so protective of their sovereignty, they lost confidence in the public. They began this European Union, European community project to delegate sovereignty to new people who could use it better. In North America, we've always, from the very early days of NAFTA, said we each make our own decisions, but we can share the information on which we make those decisions. And that's how you can balance sovereignty with the need for integrating economies. And it comes down to one thing, which is customer service for our citizens and how we help them do the things they want to do. And uh, sovereignty should enhance that, not be a barrier to That's it. exactly right. And I have to say, we are very fortunate that we live in North America, Mexico, Canada, the United States. What a terrific neighborhood. What a great place Canusa Street is in that neighborhood. And uh, it's always good to see you here, my friend. It is always good. And it's always good with these Mexico uh, interviews to realize that Canusa Street has a crossroads with North America Boulevard. And uh, that's where the exciting stuff happens this week while we're talking uh, to folks at the U.S.-Mexico North Capitol Forum. That's exactly right. Well, good to see you as always. And we'll see you next time. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Scotty. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.